Welcome to the Literacy Bug Podcast. Today's episode is entitled, Teaching in Accordance with the Stages of Literacy Development. Now, the audio of this presentation is taken from a video presentation of the same name, which can be found on the Literacy Bugs YouTube channel. However, the audio itself can make plenty of sense on its own. So without further ado, I'll hand over to the main presentation. Please sit back, enjoy, and explore. Welcome to the Literacy Bugs presentation entitled, Teaching According to the Stages of Literacy Development. This presentation is the third in a series, the first being an overview of literacy development, followed by planning and monitoring for effective teaching and learning. And here we are with teaching routines for those stages of literacy development. Now, before I begin, I'd like to emphasize that viewers and listeners should go to the Literacy Bug and download the slides for this presentation, in particular for this presentation, because later slides in the presentation can become quite wordy. And you'll probably want to have access to those for review after listening to the presentation. In addition, there's some appendices that I included in this presentation that don't fit within the core of the content or make it too long. And so these are also for review when you download the slides. So please go to theliteracybug.com backslash s backslash teaching dash routines dash stages dot pdf. But that URL is also in the description of the YouTube video and on the presentation itself. And if you've encountered this um, through the podcast, through the audio, it will be in the description um, for that, that uh, episode as well. So without further ado, let's start off. Now, the objectives of this presentation are first to emphasize the developmental nature of literacy and therefore to emphasize how literacy instruction and learning changes across the lifespan, particularly as certain skills are consolidated and new skills and expectations arise. We'll outline how literacy is both a cognitive and social achievement that involves both the mastery of skills as well as the exploration of content. And in particular, we'll outline the various texts and routines that are applicable to Shaw's stages of literacy development. And below, I've provided a link to our own discussion and expansion on those stages of literacy development that appear on the Literacy Bug website. And in fact, that, that page is the most popular at the Literacy Bug. So the key principle that launches this whole presentation is from Catherine Snow. That being literate is a very different enterprise for the skilled first grader, fourth grader, high school student, and adult meaning that our expectations of what a first grader can do and can achieve are very different from the fourth grader and so on. Now, that makes perfect sense. But if we put it in the expectations of how we define literacy is actually conditional upon where a learner is or where one is in their schooling. When we talk about literacy for the first grader, it predominantly means the ability to decode and spell and become proficient at that written code. For the fourth grader, there's certain assumptions 
that that work has mainly been done. And so they're learning to read. They're learning to read more independently and to make sense of things. And the high school student, there's also the assumption, okay, they can read, but can they read critically? Can they read academic material? Can they extract key information, formulate that information, summarize it, explain it, and provide viewpoints and perspectives? And as adults, we use literacy in such a variety of manners. It's not merely about being able to comprehend academic content. As adults, we need to be able to navigate diverse texts, including bills, tax statements, newspaper articles, um, technical reports within one's workplace, procedural texts, etc. And so these texts become more functional as opposed to um, academically um, explorative. So what we mean by literacy is really um, diverse depending upon uh, the age of the learner. For instance, word reading is the best predictor of reading comprehension in the early years. So in other words, if the learner can decode, then they're on their way to comprehension in those early stages. When I say early stages, it could be kindergarten, to grade one, into grade two, and partially into grade three, is that if decoding is in place, then one has a better chance at being able to comprehend the texts that are being explored for that age group. But then other skills, such as being able to conjure up background knowledge, to be able to draw conclusions, to infer from texts, to be able to summarize regularly what one is reading, to be able to identify main ideas and supporting details, these are more important predictors of comprehension as decoding develops through experience. So once decoding is achieved, then there are these deeper processing um, factors that differentiate learners. So the importance of different skills do change across the course of development. Also as an example, that if we also assume that a certain group of individuals are all developing word-level skills, in other words, word recognition and decoding skills, then it's going to be their language skills that differentiate them. When I say language skills, that's going to be the differences in their vocabulary knowledge and their ability to follow more complex sentence structures, grammatical constructions, and their ability to comprehend language. That's going to account for more of a variation in reading comprehension. In particular, this is true for English language learners. There's data that suggests that English language learners can reach national averages in decoding skills at an age-appropriate level, but still lag behind on meaning-based skills. So in that case, they might be able to decode at an age-appropriate level, but their vocabularies are much smaller in English. Their ability to follow sentence structures are much smaller than in English, and they're also their ability to follow figurative language or inferential language is also um, uh, less sophisticated. And so that whilst they've achieved a certain level of decoding skills, it's their language skills that need to be worked upon and practiced um, and challenged for them to become great readers. And then even beyond language skills, what we have is one's processing uh, in their reading. 
In this slide that you see before you, it's being able to identify the purpose of a text, be able to explore the questions that are at the core of their reading, be able to extract information, and once one extracts information, to be able to make interpretations, draw conclusions, inferences from that material, being able to identify concepts and themes in that material. And if I switch it around, also being able to identify the point of view from which that text is being written and the implications of that point of view and the assumptions that that point of view is making upon the audience and upon the subject matter. And so that incurs finer level cognitive skills such as being able to plan and set goals for one's reading, to be able to reflect upon one's prior knowledge and bring that to the fore to influence what they're looking for to be able to ask questions, to be able to predict, to be able to visualize, to be able to make connections between what they're reading and what their, their life experiences and what their curiosities may entail. Being able to summarize, being able to adopt different positions, different perspectives, to be able to form interpretations and monitor those interpretations and see clarification when something doesn't make sense. And to be able to then revise their understanding and their comprehension based upon new information. And furthermore, to be able to analyze and reflect and evaluate what they're reading. And so the instructional focus does change across time. So in the early years, there's this what we call a focus on surface level strategies. Can they access that code so that the squiggles on the page make some sense, that it represents language that they know, and so that they can see language within print. And once that stage is made more robust, then there's higher expectations. There's the expectation that they can start to read with greater depth and greater higher order processing or deep processing, as implied. So over time, there's this shift of emphasis from this emphasis on decoding, or in the terms of writing, encoding. And then further being able to literally comprehend what one is reading, or compose or express, so make sense of, or create sense. And then even then, there's that, that's not adequate or enough, and so we want individuals to, to be able to infer, extract information from what they're reading, or be able to express with subtlety what they're exploring, to express meaning. And then that's even also not enough to be able to just make conclusions. One needs to make those conclusions, but also interpret and evaluate. Analyze, critique, make an assessment of the ideas. And the relative weighting that we place upon those four levels is very dependent upon where a learner is in their developmental trajectory. In fact, we may ask questions across all four levels at every stage of a learner's development, but the extent to which we want an individual to become independent will also be based upon where they are in that journey. So let's say in the early years, heavy emphasis on decoding, but highly scaffolded in oral conversations in interpreting and inferring. But we know that the instructional goals for independence lie at that lower level. And so therefore, literacy can be seen as dependent on instruction and in practice at every stage, with the corollary that quality is key. The quality of instruction and quality of practice. 
And this view emphasizes the developmental nature of literacy. So the children pass through successive stages of literacy, and in each of those stages, reading and writing tasks change qualitatively, and the role of the instructor changes qualitatively. For instance, let's say we're reading a story about the boy who cried wolf. The instructional focus will change depending upon the reader. If for one reader, the goal is to use that simple story as a practice for fluency, for decoding. But perhaps there's an assumption that that can be done. So then it's about, let's say, for an English language learner, taking that simple story and focusing upon literally understanding what is happening in that traditional narrative. And perhaps there's an assumption that the person can clearly understand what's happening in that narrative, so we want them to draw conclusions. What is the story telling us? What's happening? Can we read behind the lines? What's the purpose of the author? What are they expressing? So that they understand the significance of that story. And then at a higher order level, maybe later high school, middle school, and into university, a critical angle. Let's look at the story of the boy who cried wolf. Where does it fit within our cultural values? What does it say about Western cultural values? And about child rearing, and about honesty, etc. And are we comfortable with those perspectives? Now, we could jump straight, to, an adult learner can jump straight to that higher order processing of the ideas within the text, but that might not necessarily be the best level of instruction if that adult can't read at all. So they might have a, be able to have a conversation about the concept of the boy who cried wolf because they're familiar with the story. When they look down at the page, they might be able to see a picture or under, recognize the title and have a great conversation, but that masks what their true need might be, which is being able to read. And so that's, that nature of what, how we treat a text will be dependent upon what is the instructional goal. And so in this case, learning is very much like a spiral and less like a funnel. So in the funnel model, we throw lots of rules and kids read lots of material and we're expecting that they will just, just learn. In that spiral model, it's about regular practice, setting foundations, expanding, making that practice become more complex, whether it's reading, whether it's spelling, whether it's through writing. And through the gradual practice, they become practiced and they become skilled and become more sophisticated. And so experts agree that readers, no matter what their reading philosophy, that readers need to practice, practice, practice. So even with something like spelling, being able to become more and more sophisticated in understanding the rules of spelling, but also the irregularities, and developing a robust memory for words, as well as a memory for patterns. So the teacher's role is to help the child by arranging tasks and activities in such a way that make each successive demand more accessible. Scoping and sequencing of learning so that robust foundations are laid, but then challenging futures are made possible. So, Because it goes without saying that we take for granted that it was once quite challenging to read and write and hear the code. Once quite hard to shape letters with delicacy, quite hard to retrieve a word from memory and understand its spelling, 
to form a sentence and to make sense of sentences, whether they were appearing in poetry or in a textbook, to be able to write in a manner that fit the occasion and the audience and have the endurance to go through the writing process and the revision process to say exactly what one intended. And also quite difficult to allow oneself the time to read and interpret and learn through literacy. We take for granted that these things were at one stage difficult, but through practice they became what we'd call second nature. Because reading eventually does happen in the background. People do manage to be good at reading eventually without knowing how much or much of what is going on as they read. Most of what goes on in reading is subconscious for the fluent reader. We are aware of the results of having read something, that we've understood it, that we found it funny, that it conveyed a fact or an idea or a feeling. But the neural and mental operations that produce that outcome, they hide in the background. Because what we're focused upon is the outcome of reading. And developmentally, one thing that's quite special is that we can forget all the nuances of how we learn to read because they could get in the way if we consciously were made aware of these every time we read. We need those to become automatic so that we can get straight to the text, straight to the ideas, and straight to thinking about or reacting to or enjoying what is being presented on the printed page. Now, that quote I just read is from an excellent new book called Language at the Speed of, of Sight, How We Read and Why So Many Can't, and What Can Be Done About It. It's an excellent book that looks at the cognitive and neurological structures behind learning to read. But that reading that happens in the background doesn't happen from the get-go. Becoming virtually automatic does not happen overnight, and it's not characteristic of either the novice bird watcher or a young novice reader, as Marianne Wolfe suggests in her book Proust and the Squid, the Story and Science of the Reading Brain. So the circuits and pathways that are, are created through hundreds or thousands of exposures to letters and words, to seeing them in the environment, to seeing them on the page, to writing a birthday card with grandma and granddad, jointly writing a letter to grandma and granddad as well, more and more becoming familiar with what this thing called literacy looks like, feels like, sounds like. And then as one becomes practice in it, they become proficient. So the reading system, according to Adams, requires that we consolidate and coordinate quite a number of skills. We have a, a lexicon or a vocabulary right here. And th those words are put into some sequence and order that we call sentences or syntax. And those words in some sort of order express a meaning. And in that triangle there, that doesn't have to be in print. That could be our oral language processing system that we also want to ensure is developed in print. But I have some words that put in an order that make sense to me, and they make sense to me in a context. 
Or if there's any ambiguity in their meaning, the context might resolve that. Or my background knowledge might also resolve it. So reading does rely upon language comprehension ability. Be, be able to develop their vocabulary, develop increasingly more sophisticated sentence structures, more contexts in which one communicates, and content or subject matter in which one talks about, reads about, writes about, etc. Now on the literacy side, we have these two additional plugins. We have our phonological processor, which allows us to hear a word and break it down into its component parts. Let's say spoon. The word spoon is made up of a s, p, u, n. So there's four sounds within that word. Now if you looked at that word in a waveform, it wouldn't have parts to it, but the literate individual learns to be able to perceive individual sounds within oral language. And there's this feedback loop in the diagram because the ability to say it back to myself slowly, then quickly, in parts and as a whole, this verbal rehearsal allows me to hold in working memory my language, control my attention so that I can match it with letters or orthographic, in other words, spelling patterns that I've learned over time that are matched with sounds. I know that there's a statistical probability that if I hear the s in spoon, that it could be made by the letter s. Now there's a higher probability that the p in spoon will be made by the letter p. And then the oo sound. The oo sound can actually be made by quite a number of letter combinations. As a young child, I might spell the word S-P-O-N because I've yet to learn the double O pattern within, within English. And then the N sound is also highly probable, almost even completely likely, that it will be spelled by the single N. And so I build up the statistical probability of reading and spelling based over time than through instruction, and I match that with how I perceive the musicality or the sounds within words in my language. And that allows me to recognize words in print, see that as meaningful within my vocabulary, within the context of sentences, within the context of a situation. Whether that's a narrative situation or practical situation, such as reading a recipe in the kitchen. And so it's the development of all of these systems in order to read texts, write texts, functionally, that's quite important. So let's get started with the stages of literacy development. And I'll start with a book. Proust and the Squid by Marianne Wolfe is an excellent and easily accessible uh, book for the general public that goes into strong detail about those stages of development from both instructional point of view, but also from a cognitive neurological point of view. And these stages are actually quite consistent with Shaw's stages of literacy development um, that it serves as a, a fairly seminal base of uh, that has been, if anything, expanded upon over time um, rather than tested because the 
they tested in the early stages of whether they're accurate stages of development, and they found that they're, uh, they're good guiding stages of development. And so the research focus has been more to understand what is incurring in those stages rather than to challenge its basis. So the first stage is what is referred to as the emerging pre-reader stage, from six months old to six years old. And this is this period in which we're not expecting the learner to be able to read. In fact, Marianne Wolf makes the point that the brain isn't actually neurologically mature enough until five years old to be able to read words. They might be able to do subtasks of reading, such as develop oral language, develop phonological awareness, be able to um, identify letters, but being able to combine letters and sounds into words that I know is something that the brain matures in its ability to do after five years old. And so this emerging pre-reader stage is typified by one, on le one level, oral language development. This is the catalyst in those early years is to develop as much vocabulary and talking and, um, and alacrity with language as possible in those prior to school years. In addition to um, oral language, it's also being read to, becoming familiar with the concept of books, about conversations of books, about the concept of story. And also through that, over time, the concept of print. And I say through time because one fact, when one does eye-tracking exercises with children, a picture book, whilst it has print on it, the child is actually spending 90% of their time looking at the pictures as the adult talks, as in, in many ways completely oblivious to the print on the page until later in the process. Until later on, the child starts to realize, oh, there's this link between the words that the adult is saying and these squiggles on the page. So that's another key um, goal within the pre-reader stage is developing a concept of print. What is a word? What are letters? What's the difference between a letter and a word? And also to becoming phonologically aware, understanding that this thing called rhyme, that within words there are syllables, and within words there's also individual sounds, and how th those sounds correlate with the alphabet that I'm just learning. And so at this stage, one is not reading independently. Instead, one is becoming, developing those foundational skills of oral language, phonological and phonemic awareness, their awareness of print, and their awareness of the alphabet. And it's in the next stage of the novice reader that correlates with grade one or first grade in, in schools in places like Australia and the US and Canada, and one starts to develop word recognition skills, to be able to spell basic words, to be able to read uh, phonologically or phonemically controlled or phonically controlled texts, is starting to read in the traditional sense of the word. They're not becoming automatic, but they're starting to integrate those sub-skills into what is required to read and to write. They can write perhaps basic stories using drawings or pictures as scaffolds. And those basic stories may be about very familiar events or things that they've done with family or with school, etc. And the stories that are reading are perhaps highly simplified texts um, that include language or include spelling patterns that they've been instructed in, that they know.
And then in the next stage, the decoding reader stage, this is the one of the critical stages in development because this happens across grades two and three, and it's the juncture in which one is supposed to learn to read. Because after grade three, when one enters grade four, there's this assumption that one is learning, is reading to learn. And so in this stage, the child is reading simple, familiar story, stories and selections with increasing fluency. And this is done by consolidating their basic decoding elements, their sight vocabulary, their sentence control, and meaning in the reading of those familiar stories and selections. So there's direct instruction in advanced decoding skills as well as wide reading of familiar, interesting materials. And the child is being read at two at levels above their independent reading to challenge them with advanced language, concepts, and vocabulary. So Marianne Wolf writes that if you listen to the child in the decoding reading phase, you can hear the difference. Gone are the painful, if exciting, pronunciations from the novice reader stage, and in their place comes a sound of smoother, more confident readers on the verge of becoming fluent. So they're developing memory of sight words, of, of sight chunks, integrating both known words with being able to solve new words within the context of their reading. And the better they get, fluencies becomes a matter of being able to become adept at allowing for more time for comprehension. And so after grade three into grade four, up into 15 years old, which is grade nine and 10, we call this the fluent compre comprehending reading stage. And so at this stage, there's, these, there's the need to read a variety of texts, extract information, main ideas, explore themes, being able to paraphrase, recount, summarize, explain based upon what they're meaning, becoming proficient at reading for a variety of purposes and writing for a variety of purposes accurately and insightfully. And so in the last stage, the expert readers reading stage, all that hard work falls into the background and we want readers to be able to read purposely in the communities of practice. So read like a historian, read like an artist, read like an electrician. Their goal is to read with depth of understanding and to be able to apply that understanding within their educational, their employment, their civic responsibilities. So across those stages of development, if we match that with Shaw's stages of reading development, there's this interesting relationship between language and literacy. So in that first stage, which Shaw calls stage zero, the six-year-old can understand thousands of oral language words, but they may not be able to read any words in print, or they might only know a few words in print. So there's a big gap between their oral language and their literacy. However, by the end of grade one, children can read and write up to 600 words, which is fantastic. But that's still small in comparison to the 4,000 to 5,000 words that they know in their oral language repertoire. Now, at the end of grade three, 
is an assumption that a child can read and write 3,000 words, which is also excellent. But again, small in comparison to the 9,000 to 10,000 words that they have developed in their oral language. So they can speak and write and talk, or they can speak and talk about words, but maybe if they have to write verbatim what they've said, they might struggle and then compensate by writing down simpler words that they can spell because their oral language vocabulary outstrips what they can produce confidently in print. And that's why children's written language may appear to be up to three years behind their oral language at this stage. Because while they might be able to say something to get it onto the page, they need to orchestrate fine motor movements, working memory to hold in their head what they want to say, problem-solve how to spell or how to put that message onto the page, and making sure that they don't forget the rest of the story in the meantime. So at this stage, it's also important to provide students with the strategies to be able to note down and plan what they want to say so that as they write, they don't forget the richness of their stories or their descriptions or their knowledge. So it's only in stage three and at the um, that oral language and literate language start to reach some form of parity. So at the beginning of stage three in grade four, listening comprehension is still more effective than reading comprehension and composition. But when you start getting towards grade nine and grade 10, Literacy and listening should be equally comprehensible for those who are reading very well. And then beyond this stage, if I allow this, this slide to continue, literate language overtakes oral language. One can understand more complex material on the printed page than if that spoken material was read out loud. And I think this makes perfect sense. One can understand dense academic material when they have the time to reread and read and go through it on the printed page. But if that same lecture was given in a lecture hall, one starts to lose the train of thought of that lecture, then they tend to lose the train of thought of the whole message. They can't go back and replay it like they can in the printed book. And so because of that relationship between oral language and literacy, in this one diagram that we have from a grade K student sample, this picture annotated of the parts of the body, or in this case, a map of the body, we could assume that the child has the oral language to label all of these things, of head and skull and eyes and arms and you know, pits and legs and foot and shin. But obviously their spelling skills need much development to be able to catch up their oral language knowledge, which becomes a bit more reliable in grade two and beyond. So in academic terms, we refer to things called constrained skills and unconstrained skills. So constrained skills are those skills that there's an urgency to, to develop by the end of grade three. Unconstrained skills are skills that we develop across the lifespan. So constrained skills include things like being able to write one's name, to be able to name letters, to shape letters, to understand the concept of a word orally, 
later on, the concept of a word in print, develop their phonological awareness and the phonemic awareness, understanding of letter and sound knowledge, and being able to identify words from beginning consonants, being able to fully segment words, blend words, spell words, recognize words, become flexible with grammar or sentence structure, and develop strong or oral reading fluency skills with accuracy, a good write, and expressiveness, or also known as prosody. And there's a hope that by the end of grade three and into grade four, one has become perfectly adept at all of these constrained skills. And so greater amount of focus can be spent on vocabulary and writing and compositional skills, reading of increasing depth, developing knowledge of various sorts, developing critical thinking skills, problem-solving skills, and developing interests, identities, motivation, etc. And so a teacher needs to foster literacy that requires one to become adept in these core constrained skills of literacy to the point of mastery so that fluency is attained and higher order thinking can be facilitated, whilst also still providing rich opportunities for students to gain and express meaning in multiple knowledge domains and modes or forms, whether it's speaking or listening or reading or writing or viewing or representing, such as drawing or visual representation. So it's that balance of developing the core constrained skills with great opportunities to communicate and to learn. At the same time, in the early stages, and then once constrained skills are developed to a robust stage, then after that stage, the whole emphasis turns to opportunities to gain and express meaning through visual literacy, through oracy, and through print literacy as well. And so this diagram, this la la ladder, is one of those slides that I said um, is better read in print than in this presentation. The ladder allows me to present visually that release of control of basic skills across the stages, whilst at every stage is a focus upon what we call in constrained skills. So let's look at this closely. Stage zero, again, that's your birth to six years old. There's activities to develop their concept of print, knowledge of words, etc., their phonemic awareness, their alphabetic knowledge, and in this case, fluency, but of just being able to read individual sight words. And at that stage, they're developing their vocabulary. They're developing their writing in the sense that they're drawing pictures and they're having a pseudo attempts at writing, mock writing. They're exploring stage-appropriate reading materials. They're being read to of great, great high-quality picture books, and they're developing their knowledge. Now, at stage one and grade one, I put this dotted line because there might be still some focus upon the concept of print, in this case, particularly around concepts of punctuation. What does punctuation really tell us? What do capital letters tell us, etc.? Still developing the phonemic awareness, alacrity, and being able to delete, delete sounds, blend sounds, segment words, etc. Large emphasis upon the alphabetic principle and beginning to read connected texts. Basic texts with full sentences that, is, that are formed by phonically regular words as well as high-frequency sight words. Now, grade, stage two, which is your grade two, grade three, you can see there's no longer a concept of print. There's an assumption that the child 
has an idea of what print is. And there's some dotted lines. There's an assumption that they are completely phonemically aware, aware of some sound patterns within words, but they might still need extra practice for refinement. And so decoding becomes, and spelling, decoding skills, noticing orthographic patterns becomes quite key, and heavy emphasis upon developing fluency skills with strong rate, accuracy, and expressiveness. Still developing their vocabulary, still developing their writing, reading age-appropriate material, developing knowledge, etc. So in grades 4, 5, and 6, assumption that phonemic, phonic aware, phonemic awareness is well and truly um, a flexible skill. Developing maybe those advanced alphabetic knowledge principles, such as understanding how prefixes work, suffixes work, adding inflectional endings to the end of words, understanding Latin and Greek roots, um, patterns within words, looking at word famil- families, etc. And so fluency becomes further practice whilst continued development of unconstrained skills. And that's really important because at the end of grade six, you move into the high school environment in which there's less opportunities to have things like dedicated literacy blocks. And so in grades seven, eight, and nine, whilst there's a little bit more practice and fluency, one is moving through subject specialist classrooms in your typical Western high school environment, whether that's in the United States or Canada or England or in Australia. And so there's a heavy emphasis upon academic discipline-specific vocabulary, writing, etc. And so because of that expectation, there's the assumption that core skills are all taken care of so that more time can be spent upon the language of the curriculum, writing in a diverse form of ways, reading both everyday accessible texts as well as specialized texts of the curriculum, etc. And then... In later years of high school, there's no spent time spent on fluency anymore. It's purely in that unconstrained skill domain. And so, what does this all tell us about teaching and learning across the different stages? I've suggested uh, in quite an amount of detail in that in that slide what that means. And these pictures here are what I'll now show you. Each of those stages will have a different routine. So your typical routine from birth to six years old will consist of, first, I say engaging experiences, being able to have really rich experiences, whether in a kitchen garden or play-based learning, to use language, to explore concepts, to develop one's vocabulary. As well as having lovely interactive dialogic read-alouds of quality literature having conversations about characters and stories and what's happening on the page. These readings don't have to focus on exactly the print on the page. It could be using the rich visuals to tell stories and to ask questions. And within that context, focusing on particular words to develop phonological and phonemic awareness, being able to clap syllables, being able to detect rhyme, to be able to notice patterns and beginning sounds within words and introducing early letter and early phonics sort of material. And when I say writing, when I say emergent and interactive, 
Writing can also mean drawing. In this stage, students are having attempts at using representation to explore ideas, explore um, experiences. And with the support, and this is where I mean by interactive, with the support of the adults, being able to dictate and scribe and use one's developing knowledge of print to collectively, jointly, create captions for pictures of drawings. And so the learner develops this link between experience, squiggles on the page, and an oral language description. And so that vocabulary development, great read-alouds, phonological awareness, exploration of of the alphabet principle, and opportunities to record ideas in images and words is an important feature. Even when I go back to that writing, creating a family recipe book. Even if the child is spending most of their time looking at the pictures uh, of the recipes or the, uh, the meals, they start to value the concept of how books are organized and how we go about using print to capture what we do on a daily basis. Now, in stage one, which is grades six to seven, you, ha- you still have your engaging experiences, you still have your vocabulary, still having interactive read-alouds, dialogic reading-alouds, so reading to children and with children, phonological awareness, early phonics, and now introducing the new practice in initial reading and decoding of simple controlled texts, continuing on with interactive joint writing. And in the appendices of this presentation, I include examples of student writing at different stages, but I also encourage you to go to the Reading and Writing Project at Columbia University, where you can download sample texts across the age span to know what the expectations are at those different ages. I shouldn't forget the middle slide here. It's factual knowledge, developing conceptual knowledge. They're developing knowledge at the same time, knowledge about the world, knowledge about language, etc. Now, grades two and three, if there's any slight change, rather than just focusing on engaging experiences, adding this thing called comprehension canopy, which means exploring topics, but also big questions. What is the environment? Why should we protect the environment? So treating children as little scientists or little explorers, choosing vocabulary and books that are thematically or topically linked. So reading is purposeful. So comprehension canopy, vocabulary development, lots of reading practice, including shared and guided reading practice. And what Dan, what you notice here is I've switched the priority. Before, the interactive reading lines were the core element. Well, now it's students reading on their own or reading with students is of, is of greater importance, but it doesn't eliminate the need to read complex texts that might be outside of the student's independent reading ability to explore advanced language. Now, for those who still need focus on phonological awareness, some remedial practice, as well as really structured phonics and orthographic development, and writing moving towards conventional forms and students being able to write on their own.
You might remember from um, the previous two presentations that I focused upon um, simple language on what teachers or tutors should do and use phrases like tutors should read to learners, read with learners, and help read learners read on their own, write for learners, write with learners, and help learners write on their own. And you can see that theme coming through in these cycles. He's reading to learners, reading with learners, and in later stages going to be helping learners write on their, or read on their own. Same with writing. Writing for learners, writing for and with learners, and moving towards writing with and helping learners write on their own. And that's what we call up here that gradual release of responsibility. So in this big stage, stage three, which is from grades four up to middle school and grades nine and ten, move into this focus upon a comprehension canopy. Reading, but we're reading about topics to explore questions. Developing vocabulary and concepts. Reading to learn. Collaboratively building knowledge for critical discussions. And we're writing and composing to represent knowledge. That's your unconstrained skills. And inside that unconstrained skills is your skills practice. So sustained silent reading for fluency. Maybe partner reading for fluency development. Exploring the unique morphology, morphological development, understanding meaningful patterns within words, as well as grammatical mini lessons to develop and refine their writing um, skills and their reading awareness. So by stage four, it's all disciplinary in nature. The comprehension canopy is the questions that we ask as scientists, questions we ask as historians, questions we ask as electricians, etc. Developing conceptual um, knowledge, we're discussing issues, we're exploring problems, we're examining an issue, we're reading to research and synthesize on that issue, and we're writing to provide our critical findings and writing to represent that knowledge. So across that spectrum, what literacy is, is really age-dependent. And so I'll leave to you what these following slides will show. I've done a slide on each of those stages, which talks about what is the instructional focus of that stage, what are the key characteristics of that stage, topics that are worth exploring, what is vocabulary of each of those stages, and what would be texts that students would be writing or co-drafting with adults at that stage, as well as little pictures of what would be suitable texts, as well as what would be suitable pieces of writing. Again, I've included samples of writing in the appendices, but I also encourage you to go to the Reading and Writing Project at Columbia University to access more. So next stage one, that grade one. Again, what would a literacy block look like? What are characteristics? What are topics? What are aspects of vocabulary to be aware of? Writing and sample texts, etc. Grades two and three. This one has a typical literacy block, followed by what would be a block for students who needed that tier two or tier three additional assistance. How frequently, for how long, and what that lesson cycle would include. 
as well as characteristics and so on. So I'm not reading those in detail because you'll see later in this present, you can download these slides, but you also see later in the presentation that there's also on the slides notes that crystallize what are the features of those stages. Stage 3A, so I divide stage 3 into its two parts, grades 4 to 6. Again, what would a literacy block in that later primary um, classroom look like? Etc. And then in middle school, what would lessons and activities look like? And then later, later high school. And then I also include a slide here about adult learners. Now the key th difference between adult learners is adults can be coming to literacy at all of those stages. So rather than start with an assumption, the first stage is to identify a learner's needs, understand the language and literacy demands that a, a, that adult is facing, set goals, build skills, foster functional literacy, explore topics of social, political, and personal interest, so making that literacy relevant, and set further goals. So it's really student-centered to either catch them up if they're an adult with limited literacy or to prepare them to meet the demands of the workplace as well as the social context in which they are going to exist. And so we, that's where we include this slide here is that on a social level, level reading is more than just a cognitive activity. In a social cultural context, that reader is exploring texts within some social activity, whether it's paying tax, whether it's paying bills, whether it's maintaining social relationships. In that brainstorming what the content for the adult learner should be, one should look at what is the social cultural context of my learner and how do I create lesson activities that build skills whilst at the same time helping them meet their communication demands um, that might be unique to their circumstances. So from a bird's eye view, that, liter that literacy puzzles pretty much simplified to across the lifespan. Children are learning their letters, forming words out of those letters, and those words are familiar because they're based on their oral language. They're creating sentences and phrases with those words. They're combining those sentences into texts, and those texts can be poems and reports and descriptions and recipes and signs. And they're augmenting those texts with things such as visual elements like graphs and tables and illustrations. They're learning to all the elements of literacy engagement. And even at the bottom of that, as I said with phonological and phonemic awareness, they're understanding that there's sounds within the words that they know. And those are consistent with letters in that language. And so when I put those letters together, they can form words that represent things that I know. And I can paint pictures with those words by combining those words into sentences that can relay a scenario to the audience. And if I combine enough of those sentences into a text, I can create a full picture, in fact, a moving picture of my experience. And to help me along that path, there's certain known genres with known conventions um, that serve particular social functions and intellectual and cognitive functions as well. So again, I'll leave you, the reader, to investigate those even further. The following slides try to create a map of the contingencies 
of skills that one develops across each of those stages. So in this case, in stages zero to one, children are learning their alphabetic principle, but also their generic language skills. So they're developing concept of print, learning the alphabet, learning letter sound correspondence, and that enables them to be able to identify words by beginning letter. At the same time, they're attending to language, they're developing their phonological awareness and their phonemic awareness, but in addition to attending to language, they're learning words, they're using words, they're functioning with words, and they're engaging with texts around books, exposure to books, etc. So in some ways, these diagrams try to follow the path of skills that are contingent on one another in the development of literacy across the stages. So if I jump to stages 3, B, and 4, which is your high school stages, gone are those alphabetic principles, and we're looking at general skills and, and being able to make deep meaning. So students are still con continuing to explore word knowledge, so looking at how words are der derived, um, being able to proofread what they, they write, and being able to solve words within context, being able to shift between different forms of, of a word, divine becomes divinity, and developing their technical and academic vocabulary. Whilst at the same time they're learning new concepts, they're developing sentences, they're developing the ability to communicate, to act on information, etc., for the goals of critical reading and viewing, or critical and strategic writing and composing, as opposed to the goals of fluency, early reading, and early writing. And that's carried forward here. Look at the simple view of literacy is that with vocabulary development, one needs to develop language to be literate, but also code-based skills. So what are the components of language development? Phonology and morphology and vocabulary and grammar and pragmatics. Now the four above feed into what we call lower order language skills. And it's about becoming accurate and proficient Whereas higher order skills is about being able to create cohesive messages, being able to read the audience, being able to understand um, the conventions of communication within a culture, etc. But I'll, I won't go into those in too much detail because those are for your further exploration upon downloading the slides for further review. And so after stage two, there's also a sequence for stages three, to four, about what are the sub-skills or necessary skills to consolidate and master in each of those domains. And similarly, what does teaching and learning look like across the stages if we look at a flow chart of the types of practices that should be occurring in the classroom across those stages. So in many ways, these, these slides are summary slides. We're looking at, across time, students are developing cognitive skills like attention and perception and recognizing patterns, but also being able to apply critical thinking skills and problem-solving behavior and the ability to collaborate um, with others to build knowledge and to solve issues. Developing their alphabetic knowledge, the phonological and phonemic awareness, their vocabulary, they're learning those words, they're using words, they're functioning with language, they're developing knowledge, they're developing interests and motivation, and they're navigating through different environments with different resources and relationships. And so those become, become governing skills, and how they're taught will be dependent upon stages of development. 
So at all stages, we as teachers need to help learners build skills and confidence, read and write, speak and listen, view and represent, to become practiced, to develop good learning practices, develop good reading practices, become word curious, and developing the practices to enhance their own vocabulary, and to expand, organize, and apply and evaluate knowledge, knowledge of the world, knowledge of themselves, knowledge of their social context. So if I revisit the objectives, we wanted to emphasize the developmental nature of literacy, to emphasize how literacy instruction and learning changes across the lifespan, particularly as certain skills are consolidated and new skills and expectations arise, to outline literacy as both a cognitive and social achievement that involves the mastery of skills and exploration of content, and to outline the various texts and routines that are applicable to Charles' stages of literacy development. And again, if you want to explore Charles' literacy stages in more detail, there's a page on the website called Stages of Literacy Development that you can visit. So, through gradual practice, success builds on success. Because as students gain confidence, they're willing to work harder and can more readily learn. And in some parting words, every child scrawling his first letters on his slate and attempting to read for the first time, in doing so, enters an artificial and most complicated world. Lovely words from Herman Hesse. Now, to be sure, decoding readers are skittish and young and just beginning to learn how to use their expanding knowledge of language and their growing powers of influence to figure out language in texts. And this is important because that through literacy, children are able to construct meaning, to imagine and speculate, to share ideas, to test ideas, and to articulate questions and thereby have an active role in their own development. So we as teachers, we need to provide learners with the means and methods to be able to organize their own learning, to shape their learning habits, and to shape their proficiencies. Because what's important is that we are the species that reads and records and goes beyond what went before. And we direct our attention to what is important to preserve. We write things because we think it's important to preserve it. And not only we write it, but we take pictures we tell stories, we create films, and we review these films because we, we know that it's important to preserve those ideas. So the, not only developing literacy skills, but the value upon literacy is, value, is quite important. And the ultimate aim of literacy teaching and learning. So as I said, the slides are available for download from Literacy Bug. So I encourage you to, to visit Literacy Bug. Um, you can search for teaching according to the stages of development if it's not easily locatable. If you're seeing this on YouTube, the link to the slides are in the description below. Please follow us or visit literacybug.com. Write us an email if you have a question. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you're so inclined, but also follow us on Twitter. Uh, we do explore and share resources on a regular basis. And usually that's where I'd end the presentation. But here I'll add one more thing. There are some appendices specifically for those who access the slide. There's some further diagrams 
There's reading samples by this different stages of development. There's writing samples for the different stages of development. There's, and I should respell this, summary notes um, that go in hand with uh, the diagrams for each of those stages of development or teaching routines, as well as some additional diagrams. So if I scroll through those quickly, so diagrams that you might have seen in previous presentations, but more importantly, reading samples that are indicative of different stages of development, as well as a couple of writing samples are indicative as well, and notes on each of the stages of development, as well as some further diagrams that may or may not make sense on their own. So thank you for listening. Develop those stages. Visit us on the website. Write us an email. And stay connected.